Do I want another white claw just in case so I don't have to get up again? I mean, white claws are life. Yeah, white, white, what's it? White girls, no, damn it. Why can't I never get this right? Hot girl summer. Hot girl summer, 2K19. I'm already recording. Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome to my podcast. Oh, okay, it's going to be yours this time? It's always mine. Oh, okay. Because I'm the one that talks the most and everyone agrees with my opinions. I feel like it's false. Yeah, probably. Dusty agrees with me sometimes about raspberry white claw only. No, he disagreed. He said black cherry was better. When? Didn't he say that? No, he I said that he, he had to try raspberry first. Usually he agrees with you. Oh, usually he agrees with me because I'm the smarter one. Because you're a fat <laughs> bitch! <laughs> you, I love whenever he ate, like, adds the B at the end because there's an inside joke with me and Spencer that if you put dot B, he's yeah. basically calling the other person a fat bitch. So. <laughs> a bitch has got fat fingers and every uh, sentence ends with period... The lowercase b. <laughs> the lowercase b. So and dot lowercase b. I don't know. I just have such masculine hands. And I've got be. dainty little fingers. <laughs> dainty little wooden fingers. Dainty little wooden can you, fingers. Can you take your gloves off, ma'am? <laughs> it's just tiny hands. Have you ever seen, seen that skit from uh, SNL when it's uh, uh, Kristen mm. Wiig and she's got the tiny hands? She's like... I've got the little tiny hands. <laughs> I love that Katya wears them all the time. Yes, me too. She's like... And she puts them in her hair, too. That also cracks me up. She's got them in her, like, little wigs to get, like, mm, the hands. Cracks me up. I love that. Yeah, me too. Speaking of Katya, we're going to go see her tomorrow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so the, uh, this episode will air after we've already seen her. But, yes, we're going to see Katya tomorrow for her um, Help Me, I'm Dying tour. Help Me, I'm Dying. And she's been, she's been all over Instagram and uh, Facebook. I'm excited to see what it's going to be because it's part live performance, part comedy. Yeah. What else? There's something else. She just like talks to the I don't people. Know. I mean, I can only imagine what Katya's interaction with everyone is going to be because it's always a disaster. I told you about my experience with Katya the first time I met her. Yeah. You so, proposed to her. Yeah. So, well, I mean, did I tell you the full story? Sure. So we were, no, not can I, I said did I. Oh. Anyways, I'm going to say it now. So either way, the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> no, you told me before. You were so nervous. Yeah. Well, no, no. So what happened was She's we so were waiting in line. And the way that South Beach worked whenever South Beach was open at the time, uh, like the they had it kind of like at the entrance of like the club area. And you looped around the wall and like the back bar area all the way around the, the bar. And like we were in the way back getting into line. Um and like there was this like weird like entryway up to the the DJ booth, but like I never thought much of that or anything like that. So apparently there's like a changing room back there too. Uh, so I was like standing in line and like I was facing the bar, and then I turned around to like talk to the person that I was with, and who the fuck is standing right there? Katya. Katya. She's just like standing direct, like staring directly into my eyeballs, like a like a fucking demon that's like zoned in on my face, and she goes, "Do you want to touch my nipple?" <laughs> oh my god! And I was just like. Yes. Uh, yes. And so then she grabs my hand and just like puts it on her fake tit and she goes, pinch really hard. <laughs> so then I pinch. She just goes, oh, oh. How does she know you're doing it I, though? No fucking clue. Cause it was a fake, it was a breastplate. And then she just goes, thanks. I really needed that for this photo shoot. And then she just walks off and I go, 
what, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> what the fuck is going on in here in this day? <laughs> so then I get finally get through the entire line. It took like a fucking hour. This is like three o'clock in the morning, mind you. Um, her performance, she because she had done the performance, and so like the performances at Southeast would be like, oh, the drag queen's gonna come in at midnight. They wouldn't come on until one. So. Yeah. I mean, it was on dead. a Tuesday. No, it was Friday, but yes, <laughs> typically. Um, and so the uh, we finally get up in line, and like the only thing that I had in my pocket was this like uh, leftover like spider ring from like the, you know, those cheap ass spider rings you get from Halloween as like a five year old. Um, um, I have a collection. Okay, oh. they're not for five year olds. They're collect. They're a choking concert. <laughs> you have to be at least seven. Okay. So anyways, I pulled that out of my pocket because it was around, it was in November. Um, and so I get up to the front of the line and I just like, I was like, hey, I don't know if you remember, but I was the one who pinched your nipple. She goes, I remember you perfectly fine. And so I go, I just have a question to ask you. And then I get down on one knee and prov- give her the, the spider ring. It's like, well, will you marry me? She goes, this is the best present that anyone has ever given me. And she puts it in her hair. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I'm sure she was just like, boop. <laughs> just I just slapped my head for the audience. That's fine. Um, so yeah, that was like my interaction with Katya. So I'm very excited to see whatever the fuck happens. Plus, one of my favorite Houston Queens is performing. She's opening for Katya. Blackberry is going to be there. What? Yes. So Blackberry is opening for Katya, which I think is really, really exciting for her. Oh my her. God, yeah. good for her. Yeah. I'm very excited for that. So yeah. So we'll be seeing we'll Katya. See Blackberry tomorrow. Yeah, Blackberry and I hope Katya. she does her Give Me a Dollar song. Oh I my love God. That song. I would hope. I I have heard it way too many times, but every single time I crack up. It's so funny. Just because like she was walking around with a hat and she like stares at you until you give her a She's fucking like, dollar. Gimme, 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 yeah. gimme, gimme a dollar. <laughs> gimme, 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 gimme a dollar. Or when she does like the Selena version. <laughs> gimme, gimme dollar, gimme, gimme dollar. Oh, so good. <laughs> Support your local drag queens. Mm-hmm. Because your local drag drag queens, your local drag queens are uh, putting it out, turning it out, putting out. They're turning it out. They're putting out for you, (laughs) and they are doing the absolute most. Take that blowjob. You do it. Take it. (laughs) So we just finished an episode of drag or our our Ruby podcast podcast. about Dragula season three episode two. Mm -hmm. So go check that out. Yeah. And you probably already listened to it because you you probably should have sit by your phone and wait for us to do stuff. And if you you are subscribed, which you fucking should be, you should should have notifications. You have a nice notification that says, Oh, Oh, there it is. (laughs) And then you immediately spend three hours of your life. Yeah. Because all of our episodes are so long. Way too long. We really need to figure out uh, how to do this. But I wrote nine pages. So so that's fine. Not today. (laughs) Not on tonight. Not on tonight. (laughs) Maybe after we hit our 20th episode. uh, We'll figure this shit out. Yeah, exactly. But I'd like to talk about our 20th episode because we're still going with it. Um, Because I'm still excited about the 20th episode. Who are you doing? Uh, You're going to do John Bonet. We were going to do the opposites, right? So, we were gonna let it be open to the audiences, to the audiences, the audience to help us choose. But we, yeah, we didn't put a poll up. But I mean, we also have what three, two weeks to to determine that if we wanted to. But also, those are our biggest stories of the past twenty episodes. So yeah. mm, that's what I'm thinking. We're gonna. I'm go ahead excited and for you to do John yeah. Bonet. So I'll do John Bonet, and you do Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. Okay. Sold. We'll put a post up anyway. Yeah. Just see what people <laughs> we'll say. We want to see what people say. We've yeah. already decided. Yeah. We said that last time too. <laughs> yeah. We already decided, but we want you to also weigh but in give a little us bit. your input. Yeah. What if it's just like something crazy? Like, we want you to talk about Aoki Garak. <laughs> <laughs> like, shit. What else do I talk about? <laughs> Somebody get me the Tokyo Times. Yeah. <laughs> Let me, someone tell me about this. Yeah. So, um, 
we it's already uh, quite late in the evening. It's oh, yeah. 9.45. Oh, so my God. let's talk about some spoopy let's stuff. Let's get into it. Um, so you went first last time, right? Yep. Okay, so then let me go ahead and dive in. Uh, I actually have a two-parter, maybe a three-parter, uh, because when I Google my topic, several names come up with this uh, idea, because the original one... Excuse me. Was uh, I like Googled a long time ago when it was like we were in our early episodes, and by that by that I mean the single digits. I was like, "Ooh, what are some like infamous serial killers or something like that?" And the first one that came up was Doctor Death. But the Doctor Death that I actually researched today is not the same Doctor Death that showed up in the infamous serial killers. Um, what is the most infamous one? He was in Britain and he killed like two hundred eighty people. Fishburn. No, that's not his name. Yes, it is. His name is Shipman. Harold Shipman. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's named Fishburne. Fishburn. I mean, Dinkleberg. I thought about doing that for the cartoon comedy as well. Somehow doing Fairly Odd Parents and going Dinkleberg over and over and over again, but figured that it would get. You should have done Man Dark. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. That would have been terrible. <laughs> Uh, I would have been annoyed by that performance, especially trying to get all the, like, because I had to listen to the performance over and over and over again. Uh, well, I didn't, but <laughs> probably <Yeah>. should have. <laughs> um, anyways. And I, spoops. <laughs> and I spoops. So I wrote a little disclaimer. I said, I thought it would be cute to kick off September, the beginning of what I consider to be spooby season. Mine starts, uh, like, January oh, 31st. Okay. okay, that makes sense. Like, as you soon know. as uh, New Year's is over. And it ends on January 29th. <laughs> so you have two days that it's not spooky season. One day. One day, okay. Yeah. The 30th. The 30th of okay. January. Okay. Makes sense. Um, so I'll continue reading this. Uh, beginning of spooky season with an ominous story that is close to a hometown murder to help Spencer finish what I thought was going to help you finish off your I home- didn't finish my book. <laughs> your hometown series. Uh, but tonight we go to Dallas, Texas uh, to discuss some murders, <gasps> some ongoing investigations, <gasps> and the scariest of all, trusting people. <laughs> I hate that. Me too, yeah. That's the worst part. So that's why I think that this scary is really spoopy, which I'll talk about at the end, just because it's something that, like, is very – it scares me. I'll talk about it, and we'll get it. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, So the first Dr. Death that I'm willing to talk about – not willing, going to talk about – is known as Christopher Dunch. Dunch. D-U-N-T-S-C-H. Dunch. 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 Uh, was born in Montana of April of 1973, but spent most of his early life in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, skips a lot of his early life because his young life wasn't really important. He had like a bunch of brothers and sisters. They went to like a private school, like not really anything interesting, not really anything notable that I felt like writing down. Um, he attended Memphis State University, which is now University uni- University of Memphis, hoping to be a Division Two or Division One football player, but. By the time he enrolled, he, excuse me, what is happening to me? Had exhausted his eligibility. So I don't know what time he enrolled in and things like that, but like. Do you have to be a certain age? I don't know. I don't know what set him back, but like he didn't get to actually be the football player that he wanted to be. Um, so then instead, what does a football player decide instead? He's. Be a football coach. I'm going to be a neurosurgeon. School. 
That's not what I expected. Yep. So he decided to set his sights on becoming a neurosurgeon instead. Uh, so then he continued his education, got his um, grad. Uh, I'm sorry, his uh, bachelor's from the University of Memphis, and then received his Memphis. M. Yeah, Memphis. Uh, received his MD and his PhD. His MD PhD from the University of Tennessee Health Science Center, and subsequently confi- completed. God damn it! Oh, I can't say that. <gasps> Mom, it wasn't me. Kathy, I'm so sorry. My my tongue is twied. Yep. Oh, my God. <laughs> the podcast is canceled. Do you need a, something? Do you need, like, a something to relax? I'm having a stroke. Or you're relaxed too much. That's oh the problem. <laughs> okay. Let me say that again. He received his MD, PhD from the University of Tennessee Health Science Center and subsequently completed a spine fellowship there. Did I say that all? Spine fellowship, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, So so everything was right. Okay, perfect. Um, So I understand that getting your your medical degree is already a feat in itself, but at the same time, he is also going to get his PhD, which takes a lot of... Any free time that you had as a medical student is now taken up by research. And on top of that, he was in charge of two labs while he was doing his PhD. So he was like a... Like in charge of two of those things. So like, I mean, that's a lot to take on from someone who has worked in the science field for a number of years. It, that's a lot of effort that he has put in. Um, so, I mean, that's a, that, that's all I have to say. That's a lot of effort. Um, so during his fourth year in residency, he was suspected of being under the influence of coquina. <gasps> Of uh, uh, cocaine during a an operation and was sent to an impaired physician's program where he was then allowed to return return to his residency program afterwards. Um, so I mean, they were like, "You on drugs, girl? <laughs> you seemed really excited to work on that guy. You were really into that, you like are, goddamn. You asked for thirty scalpels. Yeah, <laughs> you don't need that many. Uh, so yeah, they they sent them. They were like, "Okay, you can't operate on anyone right now." So. Go get healthy. Um, so supposedly he did. So he began operating independently in Texas of uh, in in Texas in 2010. Uh, he moved to da- wow, I spelled that really wrong. Dallas. D a l a a s. No, a s s. Dallas. He moved to Dallas to work for Baylor Plano. Uh, early on, his pompousness towards his co-workers struck a lot of nerves, uh, specifically with his colleague Randall Kirby, a longtime vascular physician. Kirby recalled him boasting about his facili- his abilities, not facilities. What the fuck is happening to me? Um, his abilities, despite being new to the field. So he would walk in and be like, yeah, I'm the greatest. That's fine. I'm the best at what I do. I know how to do all these minimally invasive techniques. Like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. You guys know about those minimally invasive (laughs) techniques. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, So they claim that he always had a plan, always had a sales pitch, and always had a way to help you. Regardless of whatever your situation was, he was like, oh, yeah, I can fix that. What's uh, um, Elizabeth Warren's like? I've got a bill for that. I've got a plan for that. Yeah, exactly. So that was basically his his pitch as well. Um, So despite being disliked by all of his colleagues, his patients liked him immediately when they walked in because I I assume sounded like he knew what he was doing. Exactly. He he had the confidence and that pompousness that you know he was like, oh yeah, I can solve that no problem. And so like these people would come in in pain, and he'd be like, don't worry about it. I got you. Come in. Like we'll we'll figure this out. No problem. so, plot twist, several of his surgeries during his time at Baylor Plano ended with a patient's be patients patients 
patients being severely maimed. Um, and like I said, he's a neurosurgeon. So you don't fuck with the brain. You don't fuck with the spine. You don't fuck with nerves. Those are things that you do not fuck with. Um, so I went directly into the victims because like the the timeline was really difficult wikipedia which had a lot of it did not help out whatsoever murderpedia he's not even on that um mm. so that was difficult to find See, and it, that's my problem with this book is he's not even on murderpedia oh yeah so finding like you know other sources and stuff like that we, that we typically use uh was not helpful so i did not have a, a, a delicate timeline uh or i'm sorry not delicate um intricate intricate there we go um and so i just have names of people and i what i think i put them in is the correct listings. Um, so it started with Lee Passamore. So Lee Passamore was a Dallas like investigator, essentially. He did like a lot of crime scene stuff. Um, and so he was working with a doctor named uh, Mark, Dr. Mark Hoyle, uh, who was a general surgeon during the Passamore surgery. Uh, so he met, he had just met Dunch that day uh, in the physician's lounge before the operation. Um, and he was like, he's really confident in himself so he said i thought that he was either really really good or he just really he was just really really ignorant or i'm sorry arrogant and thought that he was good um so this would be the first and last time that hoyle uh ever worked next to dunch ever uh so hoyle's job was really just to go in cut the patient uh leap have some more open and then sew him up once he was done uh, so he had made a small incision above the 36-year-old's uh, groin, um, moved the blood vessels and organs out of the way, so that allowed Dunch to come in and do the spinal surgery uh, and remove the herniated disc, which is what uh, uh, Passamore was in there for. Uh, the, the disc they was cut him in front or cut him in back. I assume that they probably cut him like uh, in the taint area, <laughs> uh, just because it's like above the groin. Oh no! It just. Oh, it was above the groin. So maybe it was. How do you go and go all the way through them? That seems well. Like I mean, a bad if you've got to do that, if you've got all of the, um, I'm trying to think of all the organs. We've got like, I mean, it would be mostly like, like abdominal there. tissues. Kidneys are higher up on your back. Intestines. Lots your, of intestines. Your intestines. Your intestines are very easy to move. Um, so the intestines is typically like what they want to move. Because, um, like, I mean, you think about my surgery, they went in through the belly button down there, like the abdominal. So they went between the abdominal wall and the intestines to get up into my gallbladder, which is up here. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Up, up, up right up here. <laughs> so they went through the belly button up into, like, underneath my rib cage. It seems closer than the spine. This is on the other side of the body. Well, I mean, if they're cutting, like, right above, like, maybe, like, the penis or something like that, that's, <gasps> you just have you to. You can't say that. I can. They they are avoiding, like, the, the bladder and uh, the urethra and all that stuff in there mm. and then pushing the. Anyway, I mean, it's better than going directly into the back because that's a lot of stuff to get through. That's bone to get through. I feel like that's close. Whatever. I'm okay, not a anyways, fucking doctor. Yeah. Um, so the disc was pressing, pressing on a nerve, which was causing, um, uh, Passamore's pain. So as Dunch worked, Hoyle looked over and saw that all he saw was blood and he didn't notice much else beyond that. It was just like pouring out of the epidural blood vessels and pooling in the disc space, which is where Dunch was trying to work. Uh, but Dunch just kept going and they described it almost as if he was fishing in a pond at night, uh, because he couldn't see what the fuck he was doing. Um, and so Dunch said that he was uh, working by feel, not by sight. You do not 
work by feel. Work on someone's spine by feel. Like, I can understand maybe if you're doing something big with, like, a liver or something like that. Like, that's a little bit easier to, you know, work with instead. But you do not work with someone's spinal cord and their spinal discs and all that stuff without being able to see what the fuck you're doing. Um so then he instead uh, announced that he would be removing the lim- ligament that separates a disc from the spinal canal, uh, his posterior lung- longitudinal ligament. Uh, oh, this posterior longitudinal ligament is one of the spine's two major stabilizers. Uh, it's less than less than a millimeter from the spinal canal. Uh, so Hoyle stepped in front of Dunch and said, uh, we need to talk about this because this is not what we had planned for, uh, and that's extremely dangerous. Um, Dunch was relentless, allowing Hoyle to move in, uh, stop the bleeding, and then clean out the wound. The operation continued. Dunch placed a surgical cage where the disc was to widen the opening around the nerve root and to relieve the pressure that was causing Passmore's pain. But Hoyle says an X-ray later showed that it was positioned too far to the left. Uh, when Dunch tried to reposition it, he stripped a screw, and the cage wasn't going anywhere. So the screw that was already put in a bad position is not it's stuck there like it it's you it, can't get it out. you can't get it out and if you're trying to get it out uh you're, you're gonna, gonna do a lot more damage exactly um so basically hoyle just called the entire surgery super sloppy um enough so that he was like i'm i have three more operations scheduled with this guy and i'm not fucking doing it like this guy did such a bad job i'm not doing this uh, and i will never work with him again and he was not—he was the first surgeon to do so, but definitely not the last. Uh, so that was the first patient that had an issue, and that patient still lived. So that was good. But he ended up having a lot of uh, nerve damage and stuff like that afterwards. Uh, so then we move on to Kenneth Fennell. We don't get as much of a story to all of them besides Lee, because the article that I told you that I was reading at like four o'clock today that I discovered after I'd done all my research. Um, was written from Lee Passmore's like perspective essentially, so that's why we get a lot lot of uh, insight into Lee uh, Lee's idea of everything. Uh, so then we have Kenneth Finnell, uh, who was a, a p- patient of Dunch's that claims that Dunch operated on the wrong body part. Um, and Dunch denied all of those claims and was like, uh, well, then why is he on these commercials for Baylor uh, Plano? Like, why is he telling everyone that I did an amazing job? So that doesn't make any sense if he's ever here accusing me of why being on... Why would he be on the commercials? Exactly. So that's what Dunch is saying. Um, so then we have uh, Barry Morgoloff, uh, who claimed that he was left with searing pain in his back and left leg after surgery uh, from bone fragments that were discovered that were lodged in his spinal canal, uh, they were not discovered until eight months afterwards when he sought a second opinion. So the man had surgery to relieve pain and ended up with pain that he claimed was... Yes, exactly. So he claimed with the nurses that he was in pain, uh, so much pain that, you know, when the nurses ask you, like, are you in pain from one to ten? He was like, I'm always a a ten. And so uh, Dunch was like, he's just here trying to get painkillers from everyone. So, like, he's just trying to... Dunch was trying to claim that What year is this? This is in 2011. Ah. Yeah. So this is very recent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were saying that Morgoloff was just trying to, like he was a, a, a painkiller addict and that he was just trying to get pain medicine. Come to find out that he had bone fragments still stuck in him. So that's great. Um, and then we come to Jerry Summers. Uh, this is Nobody's a, died yet, though. No, no one's died yet. These are all just botched surgeries, maim, maimed surgeries, not just botched. These are like fucked up surgeries. Uh, then we come to Jerry Summers. Jerry Summers was actually a childhood friend of uh, Dunch's who had had ba- back pain since a car accident years earlier. So they were, you know, childhood friends. They went to college together. They knew each other throughout this. Uh, and so then he, like, had this back pain. So Dunch was like, oh, sure, I'll take care of you. That's not a problem. Um, so apparently 
Dunch went in and then damaged his vertebral artery, and that that basically cut off blood flow to his spine, and he is now a quadriplegic. <laughs> so uh, after Jerry's operation, Dunch was not allowed to operate until March of 2012. So that happened in December of 2011, if I remember correctly. So he was given three months probation. Um, and then we move on to his first patient back in March of uh, 2012, um, which was Kelly Martin. So Kelly Martin was his first, like I said, first patient back that had a um, major artery, like her, one of her major arteries was severed uh, during a common procedure to remove spongy tissue around the spine to alleviate pressure. She ended up dying in intensive care unit. Um, so she, the, this was a very common surgery that she had, had like a little bit of pressure around her spine that it was causing her a little bit of pain. And it was just like a common, like go in there, take a little bit of the tissue out, take out some of the pressure and then she'll be fine. Well, somehow he severed a major artery and then she ended up in intensive Bleeding care out. and then died. She bled out. Um, oh yeah. So Dunch was soon after forced to resign from Baylor. And that Plano was his first one back after being put on oh. watch essentially. Yeah. yeah. After he botched the surgery of one of his childhood friends yeah um so after four months after four months he found another job in dallas at the dallas medical center where he be he was given three procedures uh he they were trying to like check all of his you know uh standings uh, standings and stuff like that and so during that one week that he was there uh he had already killed one patient and paralyzed another uh Mm. so foella brown she died from a. Maybe he's just bad at his job. <laughs> I have no idea. So she died from a stroke after her vertebral artery was damaged, causing massive bleeding. We've already seen a major artery, the vertebral artery in uh, what's his name, Jerry Summers. Uh, so he caused hit the same vertebral artery and then killed this woman uh, because it he he nicked it. Supposedly he only nicked it. He did not like completely like Sever destroy it, it. Um, but that was enough to cause uh, her to end up having a blood clot and it gave her a, a posterior stroke and so she died um, later that day the same day that he killed Foella Brown uh, Dunch was a roll. yeah he was scheduled a second surgery and it was a follow-up from an old patient from Baylor Plano her name was Mary Efford uh, she was just to have two vertebrae fused which from what I understand is a normal normal procedure to have uh linked by a metal plate so she woke up with severe back pain and the inability to stand uh dunch was just like that's normal it's fine like whatever so then a ct was done um and dr robert henderson saw this ct and was like what the fuck um it was a spinal fusion uh, he said that the spinal fusion so- hardware was attached to her soft tissue. So spinal tip- fusion hardware was hardware, attached to her. Her soft tissue. So normally with the hardware, the you have fuck? to attach it to, to bone. bone. Exactly. So that it was just attached to soft tissue, which means that it was in nothing. So anytime that she moved, it that moved with it. Exactly. So then the nerve root had also been amputated. So nerve roots, you have, it's like a... Um, Think of it like a base of a tree. Yeah. I mean, you've got the the shoots out and goes all different directions, or a trunk of a tree. And so if you cut down the trunk, you've fucked up the entire tree. Uh, and so that was completely taken out. Taken um, out? Yeah, it was amputated. Yeah, broken. He, he broke the, the nerve root. Um, there were also multiple screws holes to nowhere. So he screwed in this woman's bones with nothing. Um, he just made, like, 
drill marks in it. Yes. And they were nowhere near what they were supposed to be. And there was a screw that had been lodged in another nerve root near the bottom of the spine that was just there. And he didn't take it out. <laughs> okay, before it just seemed like he was not really good at his job. Now he's actively fucking shit up. Fucking shit up, exactly. So it was at that point that the DMC was like, you've been here, the the, um, the Dallas Medical Center was like, what the fuck? You've been here for one week and you've already fucked this up? Like, get out of here. So they, they revoked his, his surgery privileges and he was basically fired. Um, so then we move on to his very short time at the Legacy Surgery Center where he worked with a woman named Jacqueline Troy uh, and paralyzed her vocal cords and somehow connected her trachea to her esophagus. Yeah. What? So think about it. Your esophagus is what you... going to choke all the time. Exactly. So your esophagus is what you've got for food and trachea is for air? Air. Did I get that backwards? No, that's no. correct, right? Mm -hmm. So basically you're just choking constantly. So she was in excruciating pain and like choking all the time, basically. So two weeks later she had corrective surgery. Um, so, I mean, basically had to fix the... Oh, two weeks after surgery, I was still in pain after two weeks from a minimally invasive surgery. So I can't imagine having any extensive surgery like that and having to go back underneath the knife again two weeks after that. Um, and so then we get to our... Uh, last of the victims, uh, Jeff Glidewell. Uh, so Dunch had made his way to South Dallas after his time at Legacy Surgery Center um, at University General Hospital uh, in spring of 2013. Soon after, he severely maimed Jeff Glidewell after mistaking part of his neck muscle for a tumor. So someone who should know the difference between a muscle and a, and tumor. a tumor was like, what the fuck is that? Cut Take it. it out. <laughs> cut it. We got to cut it. Uh, severing one of his vocal cords uh, and then cutting a hole in his esophagus, slicing an artery, and then leaving a surgical sponge embedded in his throat. So this man was sent to emergency surgery, um, and Dr. Randall... The tourist Dr. Oh, okay. Dr. Randall Kirby, the one that I had mentioned previously that was one of the first, like, like long-time vascular surgeons that met with them, was, like, brought in, was like, can you fix this? Like, can you, can you help right away? So he had to come in and repair the damage um, and describe the scene as the work of a crazed maniac. Uh, like he had, Oh, and then mind you, let me go back to, I forgot one comment. So that person didn't die. He did not die. Yeah. Holy so we only shit. have two, two known victims. Yeah. Confirmed, confirmed, confirmed victims. Yes. Um, it was, Henderson, when he looked at... Who did he look at? So Dr. Henderson was another one that I'd mentioned. Where did his name go? Control F. Okay, hold on. Control F. Are you laughing at me? Oh, yeah. When he... Mary Efford. When he saw that, he described it as, like, Tinker, Tinker toy S. Do you remember those back in the day? Tinker toy S? Tinker toy like connects kind of yeah 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 tinker toy esque oh so like, yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah. was basically like he was putting together little pieces and they were not going in the right places um and so that's what he described like the scene looking at mary efford's back like it was just like i'm gonna stick this here see if it works <laughs> connect like, this to here yeah. and then put it over that sounds like me playing with tinker toys yeah exactly and that's exactly how he was doing with this woman's back so like i said you don't fuck with the back you don't fuck with the brain you don't fuck with the, the spine you don't fuck with nerves just please don't fuck with anybody yeah that's true um, so going back to Glidewell, so Dr. Kirby, uh, Randall Kirby, um, was rushed into the, to repair the damage and describe the scene as a crazy maniac. Uh, Glidewell was left with only one vocal cord and was partially paralyzed on his left side. 
so I'm assuming it's a strain to speak to anyone um, and that he can't he's paralyzed on one side I wonder what the that makes you sound like I have no idea are you just very quiet or is your voice like I assume you're probably like really raspy and that it's like very it's almost like listening to a smoker like a longtime smoker try and speak to you that's mm. what I'd assume I don't know so if you don't have any vocal cords, come uh, talk to us <laughs> on us our what it podcast. Like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then we just go on to the, the court proceedings. Um, so Dr. Henderson and Dr. Kirby were like, okay, both of us have seen cases from this man. This is fucked up. Uh, we need to do something about this. Uh, and so they heavily lobbied the Texas medical. Oh, mind you. Yeah, I'm surprised that he hadn't had his medical license revoked. Baylor right Dallas had not reported any of it. So Baylor mm-hmm. Dallas, all that stuff did not disclose or did not report any of that to the medical board. Supposedly, allegedly, they did not uh, because we don't know yet because there are still ongoing investigations right now, and so we don't know for sure because basically what someone from the from Baylor Dallas, whenever I think it was Kirby or Henderson, one of Kirby or H- Henderson had mentioned or had tried to talk to them, and they're like. I have to be very careful what I say to you because we are not allowed to disclose this information because we have an ongoing investigation. So there was information that was not disclosed to them because they couldn't. Um, mm. So Dr. Henderson and Dr. Kirby finally were like, girl, please. <laughs> like, we're done with this. So the Texas Medical, they lobbied the, heavily lobbied the Texas Medical Board. They're like, this guy's fucked up. You need to not allow him to do this. Because after that, after he was fired from uh, the University General, he ended up moving to Denver and having a bunch of, like, DUIs and, like, stealing things and, you know, trying to break into his family's house. And, like, all, like he went fucking crazy. He up was in crazy Denver. the whole Yeah, he time. was crazy. Exactly. You're right. Um, and so during that time, they were like, okay, well, he is – oh, no, no. Hold on. We're getting there. Um Mental so, health is a serious thing. If you have problems with that, please get help. Yes, exactly. Uh, so the Texas Medical Board finally suspended his license in June and then revoked it in December. During that time, that was when things were happening in, in uh, Denver, and they were like, uh, this man's like definitely messed up. But despite having his license revoked in Texas, that does not stop him from getting his medical license in any other state in the United States. What does he have to do? Just pass the test? Basically, you just have to pass the test. So there's several different, like, places that, I mean, there are some states that say if you had your license revoked in another state, you like, can't you can't here. do it here. But there's a lot of states that are like, we need medical professionals. So, like, sure, if you got kicked out, maybe we'll accept you. You're probably better than half the people we have here. So, um, yeah, there Shit. was that. So there was still the possibility that he could get that unless he had a felony. If he had a, a criminal investigation against him. Well, you um, said he had a DUI. Oh, I'm sorry. A criminal, a, a criminal, uh, criminal investigation against him. Against him, um, then he could not do that anymore. Um, and so, in March of 2014, Lee Passmore, Mary Efford, and then Kenneth Fennell all filed three separate lawsuits against him. However, our favorite Texas legislature, uh, I'm sorry, Texas le- legislator, Texas. Greg Abbott. Uh. He hopped in and came to the defense of Baylor Plano and said, uh, well, hold on. 
there's this 2003 statute that says you guys can only sue him for you can only sue the hospital for $250,000 max uh, for all of your issues uh, on medical malpractice suits. And then also removed the statute in 2003, removed the terms gross negligence uh, from the definition of legal malpractice. So you can only sell you can only sue the hospital if you believe that there is legal malice against you. And so basically gross negligence was not on Something that. you could sue for. Exactly. So I said the suit alleged that oh, Baylor yeah, Plano... bastard. Yeah. So the suit alleged that the uh, ba- that Baylor Plano made an average of $65,000 of profit from every single surgery that Dunch has ever performed, which led to the idea of negligence. So these people were uh, suing the hospital that it was like, you guys are making so much money off of every single one of his surgeries that you're like, I don't fucking care if he's... You fucking fucking you up because he's still making a sixty-five thousand dollars per person he walks in here. Exactly. You need to do it. Exactly. Um, so that's why these the, the three of them were like, "You guys are making so much money that you guys just turned a blind eye and didn't care." Um, so Dr. Henderson and Dr. Kirby continued their quest uh, because, like I said, they knew Dunch could technically get licensed again in any other state. So an official inquest was open in that was what two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen. Um, But the Statue of Limitations for this ended at the end of 2015, and nothing got done until 2015. Uh, Wait, when were the surgeries done? These were done in 2011, 2012, 2013, yeah. The Statue of Limitations shouldn't have run out on that. I think it's different for, like, rape cases and stuff like that, uh, where the Statue of Limitations is, you know, 10, 15 years for those sort of things. I think this is really just like, oh, you had surgery two years ago, and now you're complaining about it? Sucks. Like... I don't know. That's that's what from what I understand of that. Um, and so just before. So this nothing happened until just before the statute of limitations expired. So part of the problem was finding a clear reason that Dunch's actions were willful and lawful. Or I'm sorry, not lawful, willful and intentional by the Texas state law. So basically the Texas state law is like you have to prove and, you know, convince us that this man they was were out to get trying you. to kill you. Otherwise, he was just doing his job, and you just Did happened. It bad. Yeah, you just happened to be in the wrong doctor's office at the wrong time. So, luckily, a letter showed up from one of Dunch's old partners, uh, a woman. Her last name was Young, I think. Um, with an excerpt uh, from a letter that he had given her, and there was this. The letter went on and on and on, but like the letter was not really much of anything besides this quote here. The excerpt that assisted in his conviction was. You, my child, are the only one between me and the other side. I am ready to leave the love and kindness and goodness and patience that I mix with everything else that I am and just become a cold-blooded killer. Hmm. Isn't that ominous? Yep. <laughs> so. Well, thank God he wrote that. Exactly. So in July of 2015, approximately a year and a half after his license was revoked, Dunce was officially arrested in Dallas and charged with six felony counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, i.e. they were saying that his hands and surgical tools were a deadly weapon, um, and then five counts of aggravated assault using, or I'm sorry, causing bodily, a serious bodily injury, and then one count of injury to a child, elderly, or disabled person. This happened four months before the statute of limitations ran out. So four months later, he'd have been, been free. perfectly fine to do whatever. Could have gotten his medical license in any other state, and everything would have been and fine. He could have people. killed plenty of more people. 
So he was on trial for just 13 days, and the jury only took four hours to decide that he was guilty of maiming Efford. So that was enough to already put him, marry Efford, and put him in behind bars, essentially. So the prosecutor sought out a sentence that was long enough to ensure that he would never practice medicine again. He could get out and practice again? Technically, yeah. I mean, technically, That's if he stupid. wanted to go to, like, another country or anything like that, he could probably work on any of those different situations. So on February of 2017, he was sentenced to a life in prison with his first eligible parole not being up until 2045 when he is 74 years old. Good. Yeah. So he was one of the first prison sentences given for malpractice in the United States ever, which was a precedent-setting case. And um, it's only 2015? Yep. 2017. Was when, well, it's, he, uh, he was sentenced... The trial was in 2015. He was sentenced in two, uh, 2017. Yeah. That's a, a huge setting case. So the like I said, there are ongoing investigations still. Um, a lot of the people settled with Baylor um, and signed non-disclosure agreements with Baylor, um, Baylor Plano. So they don't talk. So they, they can't talk anymore. But the one who hasn't is Lee Passamore, which is what we've got the article about that went on and on and on about different things and his perspective and stuff. Um but I thought the weirdest part about this was, let me go ahead and read this. Um, a Dr. Death TV show is being made starring Jamie Dornan, who's the one from uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, uh, as Dr. Dunch. <laughs> oh. And it's co-starring Alec Baldwin and Christian Slater. So, I mean, we got some big names that are going to be in this TV series about this man who is behind bars for killing two people and maiming several others. I mean, those are just the ones that were written down in this article. There could have there been could several be more that have come, come forward. Exactly. Thousands, hundreds. Hundreds. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I mean, this man was only what 40 whenever this happened. And so you think about if he didn't go to college until almost like 18, 19 years old, then, you know, like went to college for four years and then went to medical school, PhD, all, and then also his fellowship and residency. All that was at least 12 years, essentially, because, I mean, to specialize in neuro, neurosurgery, you have to take a lot. So, I mean, that got him to 30. 36, 38, somewhere around there. Uh, so, I mean, he was 40 when this all happened. So he was a very new doctor, like, out there doing this on his own. And he ended up behind bars within four years. So, <laughs> yeah. What a bastard. Yep. So that's my story on Dr. Death, part one, because I apparently have two more Dr. Deaths coming There up. are a lot of Dr. Deaths. <laughs> yeah. So we'll find out more about Dr. Death as well. So, yeah. That was a, one of those cases that I found very spoopy because this is something that you have to trust the people that are going inside of you, essentially. Yep. So. Um, it's the same same thing that you talked about being the scare of uh, the strangers. The strangers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like a home invasion. Anybody is can a very... come at any time. Exactly. That's you a... could go and get any surgery. And exactly. They can just decide they don't want you to live. Exactly. I mean, I could have had a botched surgery as a getting a gallbladder, which that has been happening for years and for decades. And no one like it's a very common procedure. But they all, they mentioned before I even had the surgery that they were like, oh, in twelve percent of patients that we do have this problem that we do have to you know cut down your side and like go in through your ribs and like break your ribs and stuff like that to get into your um, your gallbladder. And I was like, oh, that's cool, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> Please don't. And I was like, I'm gonna be that one person that you know has to be that person, whatever. So they always give you those like little stipulations. But I mean, that's that goes again. It com- it's spoopy as hell to me because it gives you that whole idea of like you have to trust these people that are supposed to life. Exactly. You're, they're supposed to be helping you, supposed to be saving you. And if they're just going inside of you and cutting arteries and 
botching the surgery, you can end up with being paralyzed or dying. Like yep. it's just, it's that, that's the spoopy part that really freaked me the fuck out. So that is very spoopy. Very spoopy. Yep. Um, <clears throat> just wanted to take a second to talk about our sponsors. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Something a little more light. Okay. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> hey, Hey, it's me. <laughs> Did you know that the unemployment rate is under 4% in the U.S.? No. That's really low. Wow. If you've been trying to hire someone, uh, then you probably already know that because yeah. you're having trouble finding quality content. Yeah, my chauffeur. Mm. It's me. I'm the chauffeur. <laughs> it's me. I'm just... Uh, <laughs> Economy Works is here to help. Don't have the time, energy, or the resources to hire? Economy Works is ready to help you to write your job descriptions, find candidates, review resumes, Ooh. and... Shit. <laughs> Shit. Phone, screen, phone screen candidates. Let the Economy Works talent network help you do more with less. Economy Works. When we work, the, the economy, economy works! works! <laughs> Find out more at economy with an I dot, economy with an I works dot com. Uh, well, have you ever heard of that? I just wanted to ask you that. Nope. Have you ever heard of what I talk about? Good. Nope. I love whenever I have a story that Spencer has not heard of because I'm like. <gasps> and oh I God. comb over episodes of Forensic Files. Yeah, that's good. So, <clears throat> I'm going to talk about something that everyone's heard of, except you, apparently. Probably. So, Kraus, do you know about America's first serial killer? Female. No. no. Well, it's not exactly the first female serial killer, but a lot of people associate it with her. So Is this the woman on the farm that everyone disappeared? No. Oh, okay. This is Eileen Vornos. Okay. So, Eileen uh, was born in uh, Michigan. Her father, Leo Dale Pittman, was a child molester and a sociopath who strangled who was strangled in prison in 1969. And her mother, Diane Warnos, married Pittman when she was 15, bore him two children, and divorced Pittman less than two years later into the marriage. Wait, uh, this was 1969. Yep. And she married him when she was 15. He she he was strangled in 1969. She married when they were 15. Eileen was born in 1956. Okay, so then that would have been 1970, 1971. No, backwards. So what? Oh, sorry. So bef- they were married for two years, <laughs> and then Eileen was born. So it was like 1954. So 1941. 1954. Girl, she don't math. <laughs> uh, yeah, but she was married when she was 15 in 1954. I meant the mom's birth was 1941. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Um, So, Diane found the responsibilities of single motherhood unbearable. Okay. And in 1960, she abandoned her her children, Eileen and Keith. They were then adopted by the maternal grandparents, Laura and Lori and Britta Warnos. Thought they were lesbians. Lori is a man's name. Oh. I was was like, Britta is a... Man, I went with Britta. Yeah, that's the where, where I would have gone, but nope. What? Okay. Maybe it's like Lawrence? What gender do you think the name Ira is? Ira? Mm-hmm. It depends. I think if it's in America, it's a female, and I think if it's in Europe, it's a boy. Hmm. Well, it was a man when I met him, and I was full in expecting a female manager of this bro sports bar to walk out. <laughs> Hey, Ira. Hey, Ira. He was like, hey, I'm Ira. I'm like, oh, God. <gasps> You're so masculine for a woman. <laughs> I know. Your beard is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So the Vornosises raised Eileen and Keith with their own children in Troy, Michigan. Uh, they did not reveal that they were, in fact, the grandparents. Um, and Eileen did discussed... they just call themselves the parents? Yep. Okay. You know, like when parents have a daughter and then she's pregnant at 14 and she has a baby oh, yeah. and they're like, that's they're like, our that, kid too. And that's your sister. And it's actually their mom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Eileen figured it out when she was 12. Um, and then she was like crazy. She was crazy. Uh, Lori, Lori Vornos dragged heavily and was strict with the children. When they discovered their true parentage, they rebelled against his severity. Um, Eileen was pregnant at age 14. They're like, you ain't my dad. You can't tell me what to do, Grandpa. You're a cell phone. <laughs> what? It's okay. Never mind. Uh, You're not my dad. You're a cell phone. So I threw it on the ground. Okay. Nope. Just me. Just you. <laughs> That's fine. Um, so she got pregnant at 14 uh-huh. in 1970. And she was sent to an unwed mother's home for the duration of her pregnancy. The staff found her hostile and unable to get along with her peers. She delivered a baby boy who was put up for adoption in January of 1971. Okay. In the same uh, year, July, her grandmother died. So then uh, they're like, don't know what to do. They don't want to stay with their... Fake parents. Well, their abusive grandfather. Oh, yeah. Um, And so they contact their mom. And their mom says... Yeah, you guys can come live here with me, but we're going to have rules in this household. You're going to kill people. And the kids were like, no. I don't want rules. So Eileen, who was known to her friends as Lee, so I'll refer to as Lee, dropped out of school, left home, took up hitchhiking and prostitution. Oh, yes, She's girl. got a plan, she's baby. She's like 15, and she's like, let's do it. Gotta um, get in this puss. Yeah, oh, she's 15 God. doing that. Yep. Um. Hot girl summer. Hot girl summer. <laughs> oh my god, I need a white cloth. <laughs> oh no. Um, so the next few years, uh, Keith dies of throat cancer. Oh, wow. Oh. And I think he's older. I didn't really look that up that much, but he died of throat cancer. Um, which would be awful young. Yeah. I mean, even cancer. if you smoke every day. Well, this was also in, what nineteen sixties and seventies. He was probably yeah. Because I mean, he was. Well, it depends on how old he was compared to them. He's but that much older. He would be in his, what, mid-30s, early 40s? No. It didn't give mom a timeline. Was, it could be. She was 15. His Her mom was 15 years older. So if we're looking about 15 years. He's mid, older brother. Mid-50s. Oh, Keith was a brother? Yeah. I thought Keith was a grandfather. No. Oh. Hmm. So the most he could be would probably be one to two years older. So he'd be you 16. You can't have a baby at, yeah. like, 13. No. It says the next few years. I don't know how many years passed. Anyways, he dies of throat cancer. Lori, the grandfather, commits suicide. God. Yeah. Lee was like, nothing's going on for me here. So she heads to Florida. She meets and marries an elderly man named Louis Fell, who had a comfortable income from railroad stocks. The marriage was short. Fell obtained a restraining order and an annulment after Lee was arrested for hurling a cue ball at a bartender's head back home in Michigan. Holy shit. That's a heavy ass thing. Yeah. Too. Um, you don't he, get hit upside the head with the flying cue ball. Yeah. So he divorces her or annuls her. And he claims that she took all his money and would beat him with a cane when she wouldn't give him any more cash or he wouldn't give any more cash. Um, 
Keith's life insurance paid off well for Lee and her siblings. Lee received $10,000 from her brother's uh, death insurance, and she spent it all in two months. Wow. She's fast. She had a life of luxury, didn't she? And this is in the 70s, yeah. where you can get, like, a child for... For $10,000. 50 bucks. Yeah. Oh. Um, so she drifted back to Florida and embarked on a decade... Uh, decade. I like to say decade, like John F. Kennedy. Is that wrong? Yes. Okay. <laughs> she embarked on a decade of okay. failed relationships and small-time crime forgery, theft, and a rather ridiculous armed robbery that put her in prison for a spell. From time to time, she turned tricks, but even as an exit-to-exit interstate prostitute, she was not a hot commodity. She was not exceptionally pretty. pretty. Um, That's the way I understood it. She's not... uh, She's got... mm, I'll show you a picture later. She has a vagina. Yeah. (laughs) Her teeth are a little worse for wear. Um, When she met... The (laughs) claw. It's the claw. (laughs) You remember uh, Priscilla's outfit from Drag Race? Those were her teeth. Oh, God. <laughs> Buck teeth. <laughs> um, so she meets 24-year-old Tyria Moore in a Daytona gay bar in 1986. Lee was lonely, angry, and ready for something new. Some claim she had sex with over 250,000 men, which is obviously false because she's in her 30s here. So she would have to have sex constantly. Multiple times a day. More than multiple times a day. When you can start having sex, the earliest is probably, what, 12? Why? Because it doesn't work before that. Why? I don't know. That's who? She's not actively having sex with men as an eight-year-old, I'm sure. Oh, I th- sorry. I thought you meant 12 as in the time of the day. I was like, what? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was because I, no, I said multiple times a day, and you said you can't have sex before 12. That's an accurate <laughs> response. You really can't. You have to. I mean, you, you people like, will come and get who you. Who says that? I mean, the morning sex is the thing, bitch. <laughs> if it's before twelve, it's illegal. Yeah. Sounds like Texas law. I mean, Texas um, claw. That's not mine. Well, I actually think it is. It is yours. It's just empty. Oh, oh, oh so that good. Was good. Um, so for a while it was great. Ty loved her and didn't leave her. She even quit her job as a motel maid for a while and allowed Lee to support her with her prostitution earnings. Um, the money started to run out, obviously, because Wait, she, was, she was supporting someone with her prostitution, prostitution money? earnings. Oh wow. Yeah. So she pulled in less and less money from hoeing. Um, <laughs> from hoeing. I can have not other, <laughs> it's not just prostitution. There's other verbs. Oh, okay. Um, Ty stayed being with Lee. Being a slut. Uh, no, a slut doesn't get paid. I a whore gets paid. Yeah. Um, Ty stayed with Lee, um, following her from cheap to motel to cheap to mo- cheap motel. Um, and they also stayed at old barns and in the woods sometimes. Um, so I'm thinking old barns, like imagining my drive back home to like shirts down. That's where I, she was. I ten and just it's like Florida, seeing, almost identical. Yeah, that's true. Just middle of fucking nowhere and just like broken down barns on the right and like that looks pretty. That is full of something. <laughs> something probably spiders, maybe murderers. Oh, <laughs> um, so now we can move on to some mysterious deaths. Deaths. So Richard Mallory. A middle-aged owner of a Clearwater, Florida electronics repair business was known um, known to close up shop abruptly, and he would disappear for days at a time on drinking and sex binges. Oh. 
Um, he changed the locks from his apartments all the time, eight times in three years, because uh, he was just giving his keys out. Come on over. Come on over. Come, please come rob me. He would keep employees at his business only long enough to clear the backlog of work that accrued during one of his disappearances, letting them go once his repair orders were caught up again. His only constants were alcohol, sex, and paranoia. Uh, so when he didn't show up to his office um, early December 1989, no one really cared. Hmm. Um, they probably didn't have any inkling to believe that he was not missing. Dead. Yeah. Yep. He was just off in somewhere. Yeah. Doing his thing. Drunk Fucking. somewhere. Fucking and drunken. Fucking what? and drinking. <laughs> Um, there was no close, uh, no one close enough for him to notice that he was gone until uh, they found his Cadillac a few days later outside Daytona. Nobody suspected anything until that. Um, on December 13th, 1989, Jimmy Bonchi and James Davis were looking for scrap metal along a dirt road close to Interstate 95 in Volusia County, Florida. They found a body wrapped in a carpet. <gasps> Never. Uh, fingerprints were taken from the badly decomposed hands, proved that it was Richard Mallory. He had been killed with three shots from a twenty-two caliber gun. Okay. Several months of investigation into his sordid lifestyle and somewhat shady acquaintances produced no real leads because he hung out with Shady-ass people, yeah. Because everyone's like, no, I'm just drunk. It's fine. Yep. Mess up on drugs. Uh, initial suspicions revolved around a stripper who went by the name of Chess. It's <laughs> a good name for a drag or a drag queen, yeah. Sure. yeah chast- Hookers, chastity. drag queens, chastity wrecked. Oh, oh. Is she my drag sister? Yep. <laughs> um, because that works too. Because their chastity is wrecked. Mm-hmm. Chastity wrecked. Yeah. Yep. Um, that's why I love that name because it can work both ways. Doesn't have to just be something erect. It can be it is wrecked. <laughs> Chastity wrecked. Ruined. Yeah. Toyota wrecked. No. Toyota wrecked? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like a car crash. Okay, got it, yeah. Um, So Mallory's case goes cold. Um, May 5th, 1990, the body of an unidentified male was found naked in Brooks County, Georgia, close to Interstate 75, just across the state line from Florida. Two 22 caliber slugs were found in the remains and the Georgia Bureau of Investigations had no leads as to the identity of their mysterious corpse. Ooh. Uh... June 1st, uh, 1990, another identified naked male body was found in the, cit- in the woods of Citrus County, Florida, about 40 miles north of Tampa. Police initially suspected Matthew Cocking. <laughs> what a good name. Uh, a surveyor who had found the body, and he was known to carry a gun. Uh, the identification of the body on June 7th was that of David Spears of Bradenton, Florida, cleared cocking. Spears had been a heavy equipment operator who was last seen on May 19th. His truck was found shortly after on the Interstate 75 with the doors unlocked and the license plate missing. Mm. Meanwhile, 30 miles south in Pasco County, yet another naked body was found a few miles off of Interstate 75. One was discovered on June 6th that was so badly decomposed that the medical examiners were not able to obtain fingerprints and could not estimate the time of death. And this is late 60s? It's 1990. Oh, what? Where did I get lost at? Yeah. It's the 90s, girl. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, but it's Florida. Okay. So it's hot. Okay. So, so yeah, decomposition the happens faster. Exactly, yeah. 
Uh, nine bullets found in the remains were damaged by the decomposition, but uh, they were determined to have come from another twenty-two caliber weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, July 4th, a car careened off State Road 315 near Orange Springs, Florida, and came to a rest in some brush. Rhonda Bailey, who was sitting on her porch at the time and watched the car accident happen, said that two women clambered frantically out of the car, throwing beer cans into the woods and swearing at each other. The brown-haired woman said little. The blonde, whose arm was bleeding from an injury sustained in the crash, did most of the talking. She begged Bailey not to call the police, saying that her father just lived up the road. She and her companion got back in the car, which now had a smashed windshield and other damage, and got it out of the brush. The crippled vehicle didn't take them far, though. They abandoned it just down the road, and they began to walk. Marion County Sheriff deputies found the car where the women had left it. It was a 1988 Pontiac Sunbird, gray with four doors. The glass in the front, or yeah, the glass in the front doors and the windshield were all smashed out, and there was. A lot of blood stains throughout the interior. Also, they took the license plate. Computer search based on the VIN number revealed that the car belonged to Peter Sines, who had disappeared on June 7th after leaving his home in Jupiter, Florida, to visit relatives in Arkansas. Sines was a 65-year-old retired merchant seaman. (laughs) Seaman. (laughs) He's retired, okay? He doesn't do that anymore. He's a retired seaman. He doesn't... (laughs) He doesn't take the seaman. John Wisniewski, Wisniewski. God, these names are hard. You and your names. Um, of Jupiter Police had been working on the case um, since he was missing, sent out a na- nationwide teletype containing descriptions of these two women. He also sent a synopsis of the case to the sketch and the sketches of the women to the Florida Criminal Activity Bulletin. Troy Burress left on his de- delivery route from Gilcrest Sausage early on the morning of July 30th. Is that a city? No, it's a company. Oh. It's a sausage company. Okay, fine. Uh, wouldn't it be a great city name? I know. That I was like, <laughs> welcome to Florida. Welcome to Gilcrest well, that, Sausage, Florida. That's what, driving to the lake, there's like that small town called Soda. Oh, I love the soda. Just soda. <laughs> what else is there on the way there? Jasper. Jasper. Well, there's a, one road whenever I used to drive from uh, San Antonio to uh, College Station. There's one called a road called Old Potato Road. There's a there's one on there's a side road on um that road between Livingston and Woodville. Uh-huh. It's called Jimbo Nettles. No. <laughs> Jimbo Nettles Road. And I'm like, did you just ask for a road and name it after yourself? Hey, can you just call that my road? Jimbo Nettles. I live down the road. Um so <clears throat> Troy Burress left his delivery route from Gilcrest Sausage early on the morning of July 30th and he did not return that afternoon. So the sausage company manager, Johnny May Thompson, started calling around and discovered Barres hadn't showed up to his last, last few delivery stops. Later the night, she and her husband uh, went out looking for him. At 2 a.m., Barres's wife reported him missing. At 4 a.m., Marion County Sheriff deputies found his truck on the shoulder of State 19, a road, 20 miles east of Ocala. It was unlocked, and the keys were missing, and Barres was what not in his car. What area in Florida? Am, I'm trying to understand. All over. Oh, okay. It's it's along the highway. Mm. Um, so all the way up to Georgia, and then all the way down to Tampa. Wow. Um, it didn't take long for the leads to start pouring in, and by mid-December, police had several tips including or involving the same two women. 
a man in Homosassa Springs said that the two. <laughs> <laughs> it's Florida. Stop. Homosassa. <laughs> Homosassa. Homosassa. <laughs> uh, said two women had rented a trailer from him about a year earlier. Their names were Tyria Moore and Lee. A woman in Tampa said that the women had worked at her motel south of Ocala. Their names, she said, were Tyria Moore and Susan Blavik. <laughs> Blavik. B-L-A-H-O-V-E-C. Blahovic. Blahovic? Blahovic. Blahovic. That's too many syllables. Yeah, I don't... It's... All Eastern European languages are too many syllables. She's not even Eastern European. I don't care. Um, an anonymous caller identified the women as Ty Moore and Lee Blahovic, who bought an RV in Hamasa Springs. Homosassa Springs. Lee Blahovic was Why dominant. Why is that name so funny to Homosassuses. Um... Obviously, Lee, Lee is the dominant one, and um, the caller called her a truck stop prostitute. <laughs> she said they were both lesbians. Lesbians. We were all thinking it. I mean, Dixie's a truck stop truck stop prostitute. Yes, she really is. God, she loves those she, truck stops. She loves those truck stops. Not she, even Bucky's. It's not what, even were loves. you there whenever I did the bingo and I was talking about my time in College Station being like a, a truck stop whore? That was mm-hmm. a joke, obviously, but... It was funny, and everyone loved it. So, Dixie is a truck stop whore. Write that into your biography. And the truck stop whore? Uh-huh. College station truck stop whore. Yeah. But not Loves or Bucky's. It has to be something like Trash. Flying J. What? Yeah, Flying <laughs> Denny's. Denny's. No, not even a Denny's. You have to go to, like, a small town that has, like, just a McDonald's. Yeah. Like, that's it. That's the only fast food restaurant. The only food restaurant you Where have. Flatonia. Flat, oh my god they got a mcdonald's while i was in college one of my friends was from flatonia and they got a mcdonald's while we were in college and together. she raised hell about she it, was I'm like sure. oh my god no let me mcdonald's tell- or dairy queen they say she, i think it was a dairy queen she said they had a mcdonald's and they brought a dairy queen and she was like there's gonna be a rivalry <laughs> people are moving to flatonia let me tell you that right now right <laughs> like what the fuck um so, uh, blah, 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 blah. Police had been tracking the movements of Lee Blalovec and Tyria Moore and provided a detailed account of the couple's movements from late September to mid-December. They had stayed primarily at the Fairview Motel in Harbor Oaks, where Blalovec registered as Cami Marsh Green. Oh, Lord. She's got some good names. But, okay, so my problem is, remember we had this conversation where in the 1890s where you could move a town over and just call yourself whatever different? This is the 90s. Yeah. The 1990s. But she's not working. She's just going to a hotel, and in the 90s you could be like, I'm whoever I want to be. I don't have an ID. Why would I have Was an ID? Was she giving them cash? to like? N- yeah, she's a prostitute. Oh, sorry. Okay. Well, I'm just like trying to understand, like, how is there not a, a paper trail here? Oh, I think we're supposed to say sex worker. I don't People don't like the term prostitute. Well, I think... No, I think in this case she was definitely a prostitute. I think a sex worker is someone who, like, primarily... Oh, I guess it's a fine line. We'll just say sex worker. Okay. You can call him whatever you want. <laughs> we'll turn off the mics and then I'll say something different. <laughs> She's the... a hoe. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucking whore. Um, so, blah, 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 blah. They spent a bit of time living in a small apartment behind a restaurant very near the Fairview, but they always returned to the Mattel. Um, in early December, they stayed, or they left the Fairview, um, and then they returned alone, or Lee returned alone 
in the hotel, and she stayed until December 10th. A quick computer check gave a driver's license and criminal record information on Tyria Moore, Susan Blalovic, and Cami Marsh. Moore had no real record, breaking and entering charges against her 1983 had been dropped, and Blalovic had one trespassing arrest, while Green had no record at all. Additionally, the photograph of Blalovic's license did not match the one for Green. Wait, a record of fake people? Yeah. What? I don't know. I mean, I, well, because apparently, I guess she, that she had been stopped. Okay. And they put a record, or they put a name in for her. And maybe took her picture. For for Blalovic, um But she didn't have an idea She had with an arrest. That. She was arrested for trespassing. So they took her picture. And then Green, I guess they just see her living at the motel. Mm. Um, the green ID was the one that, or their fake IDs, I guess, too. Oh. Uh, the green ID was the one that was paid off best. Volusia County officials checked area pawn shops and found that in Daytona, Cami Marsh Green had pawned a camera, a radio, a radar detector, and had left a requisite thumbs, thumbprint on the receipt. These items belonged to Richard Mallory. Mm, so I found a source. In Ormond Beach, she pawned a set of tools that matched the description of those taken from David Spears' truck. Because I guess I guess you have to show your ID at a pawn shop when you're selling something. Well, I think that's like a new thing. Because back in like the 70s and 80s, you didn't really have to. But I think it became like a, you're selling things to cover your track. Exactly. Like it was a very... They caught on very quickly with people who were selling stuff. And, like, pawn shops still nowadays can be shady in those different aspects. Like, I'm trying to get rid of this gun that I just killed someone with. And, like, they'd sell it and it'd be gone. Like, simple yeah. as that to cover that track. Cover the murder weapon kind of thing. So I think it became like a, uh, we need to track these purchases that, these selling and buying things to make sure that these things are not um, happening. <laughs> not used in ill. Exactly, yeah. Um, so... Jenny Ahern of the automated fingerprint system found nothing on her initial computer search for the uh, thumbprint, but it came to Volusia County and began a hand search of the fingerprint records there. So they're going through all of their paper records. Within paper an, records to compare fingerprints? Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord. It's the 90s. They just got the internet in yeah, Florida. Yeah, but that's still, like, extensive. Be like, ooh, look at that line on that finger. Ooh, that looks really similar. Yeah. Like, bitch, that would take... Forever. Forever. I'm sure they use some sort of like a magnifying device. Well, I mean, you can see it, but like that still will take fucking forever to like, oh, that line is. You want to catch a murderer or not? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So um, they found this print shows up for a weapons charge um, and an outstanding warrant against Lori Grody. A bloody palm print found in Peter Sims' sunbird matched Lori Grody's prince as well who the fuck is laurie grody another alias i was like where did that name come from she's a new girl all the information was sent to the national crime center um responses came from michigan colorado and florida laurie grody susan blalovec cammy marsh and eileen warnos are all the same person oh so now the hunt for warnos is on (laughs) um begins on january 1991 uh, pairs of officers, including two undercovers known as Bucket and Drums, the best names I've ever heard. That's so undercover. My name is Bucket. Hey, what's up? I'm Bucket. 
Well, that would work if you're trying to find a hooker. Sex worker. <laughs> sex worker. Sex hooker. That's shit. <laughs> Damn. Um, drug dealers from down in Georgia hit the streets hoping to track her down. On the evening of July or January 8th, Mike Joyner and Dick Martin, also known as Bucket and Drums, spotted her at Port Orange Pub. They meant for their takedown to gradually develop um, as they wanted an airtight case, but Port Orange police entered suddenly and took Warnos outside. Mike Joyner frantically phoned the command post at Pirate's Cove Motel, where the authorities from six jurisdictions had come to work the case, because it was multiple six counties. different pe- police departments were there. Mm-hmm. They were like, I'm going to catch this, this woman. This is the bitch. Yeah. We need her. Uh, so the development wasn't because of a leak. They surmised the cops were just doing their jobs. Bob Kelly of the Volusia County Sheriff's Office call, called Port Orange Police Station and told them not to arrest Eileen Warnos under any circumstances. The word was relayed to the cops in the nick of time, and Warnos returned to the bar. Joyner and Martin struck up the conversation with her and bought her a few beers. She left the bar at around 10 o'clock, declining an offer for a ride. Once again, the cautious takedown was almost ruined. Two Florida Department law... Uh, Wait, law- it was, I'm sorry. So they took this woman outside to question her, and she was like, what the fuck do you want? And they were like, we're like nothing. nothing. <laughs> and then they, she went back inside. Uh-huh. Six police departments are now tailing her. Know where she's at as of right now. Well, because they're trying to get her in an... They're, they're trying to... Act. Yeah. Yeah. Cottoniac. Cottony Act. Um, and then these other two officers are like, let's get her drug and see what happens. And she's like, no, go away. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, darn. And then she Foiled again by these meddling kids. Yeah. But um, she's walking down the road. Police follow her. Uh, she goes to a different bar called The Last Resort. And Jordan and Martin <laughs> are like, all right, that's where we're going. We're so going they follow to her out. to a yeah. different bar. They left just after midnight. And Warnos didn't leave at all. She slept at the bar so they know where she is um then the next afternoon joiner and martin were back at the last resort as bucking and drums uh talking up warnos and wearing transmitters that kept the police apprised of everything that went on um they planned on making they had transmitters but couldn't figure out fingerprint scanning technology yeah sure jan um it's florida Mm. um fair enough this is not the fbi okay yeah the last resort was like, we're having a barbecue. So a lot of bikers would be coming at any any minute. And Eileen Warnos was a friend of the bikers. Um, so the decision was made at the camp, compa- command post to go ahead with the arrest. So Joyner and Martin said, why don't you come over to our motel room and get cleaned up? <laughs> Before the bikers get here. Well, no. I think it's inferred that they were saying... Let's have sex. Let's have sex. Yeah, I, I know. I understand that. No, with but, them, not with the bikers. No. What did I... Yes. What I understand did I that. What did I say? What did I, what did I say? Um, no, I understand that was implied, but like, you know, to help encourage her, come... Never mind. Whatever. It's yeah. in my own... Whatever. I'm, okay. <laughs> so, um, uh, outside the bar, there was another... Uh, police officer waiting and she was arrested on an outstanding warrant for Lori Grody. No mention was made of murders. Um, and no announcement was made to the media about somebody being arrested for the murders that were Mm -hmm. 
It was just news. she was arrested for being wanted for whatever she got Brody. a picture of, right? Yeah, I think it was some sort of. Let me go back. She was driving, right? It was something something to do with like a a weapons charge. Oh, okay. Uh, blah blah blah. So on January tenth, Moore was located. Tyria Moore, her girlfriend. She was living with her sister in Pittston, Pennsylvania. So the officers flew there to interview her. She was read her rights, but not charged with anything. The inspector made sure to tell her what perjury was. He swore her in and sat back as she gave her statement. She had known about the murder since Lee had come home with Richard Mallory's Cadillac, she had said. Lee had only openly confessed that she had killed a man that day, but Moore told her not to say anything else. I told her I didn't want to hear about it. And then she would come home after that and say certain things, telling me about where she had got something. I'd say, I don't want to hear it. So she knew she was murdering people, but she said, just don't, don't tell don't me about tell it. Me. I, can't, I can't hear it. Yeah. Um, so she had her suspicions, she admis- admitted, but she had wanted to know as little as possible about her doings. The more she knew she reasoned, the more she'd be compelled to feel report her to the authorities. Mm-hmm. She didn't want to do that. She was just scared, she said. Uh, she always said that she'd never hurt me, but then you can't believe her. So I don't know what she would have done. Yeah. I mean, especially if it's like someone's killing someone, you never know like when they're going to turn on you. Snap. Oh. You never know like at that point when it's going to be like, oh, you're telling me all these like little bit of secrets. Uh, and like the more that you don't know about it, the less leverage they have on you to kill you kind of thing. So, yep. I mean, it's smart for her for denying, like, no, I don't want to hear about it. But you could have just, you knew it. You should have reported it before. You should have said something, yeah. That's also true. But anyways, love does weird things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the next day, Moore was accompanied by Munster and Thompson back to Florida to assist in the investigation. A confession would make the case against Warnos virtually airtight. Um, so they, they tried to get Moore to uh, help them. Mm-hmm. They put her in Daytona Motel and they made her contact Lee in jail. She, uh, they told her that she would receive money from her mother, and they would come down to get the rest of her things. Um, their phone conversations would be taped, and Moore was to tell Warnos that the authorities had been questioning her family, that she thought that the Florida murders would be mistakenly pinned on her, on Tyria, um, and. They hoped that this would, they'd hoped that getting the girlfriend to say these things to Lee would make her confess. So basically they were saying, lie to her and tell her that you are going to get blamed and put in jail for all these murders. If she doesn't confess. Yeah. That's fucked up, but I'm into it. Yeah. So first call, January 14th. She was still under the impression that she was only in jail for Lori Grody's weapons violations. When uh, Moore brings up the uh, suspicions. Oh, my God. (laughs) Anyways, continue. Eileen says, I'm only here for that concealed weapons charge in 86 and a traffic ticket. And I tell you what, I read the newspaper and I wasn't one of those suspects. So she was aware that the jailhouse phone was being monitored and made efforts to speak about the crimes in codes to construct alibis. I think that somebody at work, where you worked at, said something that it looked like us. And it isn't us. See? It's a case of mistaken identity. 
So Lee is in jail saying, I know what you're talking about, but it's not us. Mm -hmm. Tell them it's not us. But she can't say that because it's being taped. So. Well, this, she's trying to be smart. Yeah. Um, So the days continued and the calls continued. Moore became more insistent that the police were after her and it became clear that Eileen knew what was expected of her. She even voiced suspicions that Moore was not alone and that there was somebody taping their conversations. But as time passed, she became less careful about what she said. She said she would not let Moore go down with her. Just go ahead and let them know you just go ahead and let them know what you need to know, what they want to know or anything she said, and I will cover for you because you're innocent and I'm not going to let you go to jail. Listen, if I have to confess, I will. And then January 16th she did. Hmm. Warnos came back with two main points over and over during her first confession to Larry Horzeppa and Bruce Minster. Uh, first, she made it clear that Moore was involved, was not involved in any way of the mur- murders. And then she said that nothing was her fault and that, uh, what the fuck did I write? <laughs> I love when we do this. <laughs> Oh, what the fuck is written there? So all the killings were done in self-defense. Yeah. Each victim had either assaulted her, threatened her, or raped her. And her story seemed to shift around and move as she told it. Um, She, when she thought she'd said something incriminating, she would back up and retell that part of the story, changing the details to suit her overall scenario. She'd been raped several times in the past few years, she claimed, and had had enough. When each of her victims became aggressive, she killed out of fear. Several times, Michael O'Neill, a public defender from Volusia County's public defender's office, advised Warnos to stop talking, <laughs> finally asking her in exasperation, do you realize these guys are cops? <laughs> I at least, Eileen answers, I know, and they wanted to hang me, and that's cool because maybe I deserve it. I just want to get this over with. Okay. <laughs> Um, an avalanche of book and movie offers poured into the detectives' relatives, detectives, relatives, Moore, and even Eileen herself. The Warnos—they were like, "Oh, we want to write about you." Yeah, because oh. she was kind of a bad bitch. Yes, I mean she definitely was, but uh, I mean it's the same eye roll she's reaction. Literally to a bad bitch. Bad. But she's bitch. also a bad bitch. bad bitch. I mean, like look at Doctor Death—the whole like sensationalizing of this man who murdered people during surgery, like. Which is why? why I'm surprised you haven't heard of this because it was crazy, and in they the made movies 90s? about it, yeah, and books, yeah, and it was like a media outrage. Mm, never heard of it. But I guess we were both just born. We were young, yeah. But if you look up anything, like infamous serial killers, her name Allie pops Marshall's up. up. Um. So blah blah blah. She's all over the media. She felt famous. She wanted to talk about the crimes with anyone who would listen including the employees of the jail. Um, with each retelling, she refined her stories, casting herself in a better light each time. I was glorious. Yeah. I murdered these people who were trying to no, kill me. No, she was me. like, they raped me. Do you understand? And she would curse all the time. She'd be like, those fucking murderers, uh, or those fucking rapists, I'm glad that I, I, I killed them out of fear because they, you know, such and such. Uh, she has some quotes that I'll get to later. Oh, boy. Um, so there's a woman named Arlene Prowl. She was 44 and she was a born again Christian. So she's about the same age as Eileen. Um, 
She ran a horse breeding and boarding facility near Ocala, and she'd seen Warnus's picture in a newspaper and wrote her a letter. She said, my name's Arlene Prahl. I'm a born again, and you're going to think I'm crazy, but Jesus told me to write to you. <laughs> she provided oh her with a home telephone number, and on January 30th, Warnos called her. Um, they talked for a long time, and then um, Prahl would tell her to get new attorneys all the time. She would tell Warnos that uh, the attorneys were out to get her. Uh, so this born again Christian is trying to save the serial killer. Yeah. Um, what so, the fuck? I have a story about that, but I'm going to tell that off mic. Okay. Prawl spoke with reporters describing her relationship with Warnos to a Vanity Fair reporter as soul binding. Yeah. We're like Jonathan and David in the Bible. It's as though part of me is trapped with her in jail. We will always know what the other is feeling and thinking. That's disgusting. And then, the fuck? then November 22nd, 1991, Arlene Prawl and her husband legally adopt Eileen Warnos. What the fuck? And they're the same age. Yeah. Okay. Prawl said, God told her to do this. I'm not guessing. <laughs> uh, Warnos's attorneys engineered a plea bargain to which Warnos agreed. She would plead to six charges and received six consecutive life terms. One state attorney, however, thought she should receive the death penalty. So in January 14th, 1992, Warnos went to trial for the murder of Richard Mallory. The evidence and witnesses against her were severely damaging. Dr. Arthur Botting, the medical examiner who had autopsied Mallory's body, body, stated that Mallory had been taken between 10 and 20 minutes to die. Tyria Moore testified that Warnos had not seemed overly upset, nervous, or drunk when she had told her of killing Mallory. Twelve men told of encounters with her along the Florida highways over the years. Florida has a law known as the Williams Rule that allows evidence relating to other crimes to be admitted if it's showing to help or if it's help, helping to show a pattern. Uh, because of the Williams Rule, information regarding the other killings were presented to the jury in the Richard Mallory case. Warnos's claims of having been killed or having killed in self-defense would have now been a lot more believable had would have been a lot more believable if the jury had not known of Mallory. Uh, now, with the jury being made aware of all the murders, self-defense seemed improbable at best. Excerpts from the, her videotaped confessions were played, and the self-defense claim seemed ridiculous. Mm-hmm. On tape, Warnos appeared confident and not at all upset by the story she was telling. She made easy conversation with her interrogators and repeatedly told her public defender to be quiet. Wow. She, the her, person who's trying to save her from being in jail. She's, she's like, like, shut, shut up. up. Oh, Lord. Uh, her image spoke from the screen. I took a life. I'm willing to give up my life because I killed people. I deserve to die. So the born-again Christian woman got to her. Yep. I don't even know if she got to her. I think... Eileen Warnos just had such a terrible childhood, and I think that she had She's some like, sort of undiagnosed mental illness. Oh, yeah, for sure. She was just like, this is what people want to hear, so I guess that's what I'll tell them. Yeah. Um, Trisha Jenkins, one of Warnos's public defenders, did not want her to, client to testify and told her to not testify, but Warnos insist, insisted on telling her story on the, the bench. Um... By now, her account of Mallory's killing barely resembled the one that she gave in her confession. 
Yeah, because she had warped the story so many times yep. for every single person that would listen to her. Mallory had raped and sodomized her, she claimed, and had tortured her. On a cross-examination, prosecutor John Tanner obliterated any shred of credibility she might have had. As he brought to light all her lies and inconsistencies, she became very agitated and angry. Her attorneys repeatedly advised her not to answer questions, and she invoked her Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination 25 times. <laughs> she was the defense's only witness, and when she left the stand, there was no, not much doubt about how her trial would end. January 27th, Judge Uriel Blount charged the jury. They returned with the verdict less than two hours later. They found Eileen Bornos guilty of first-degree murder. And as they filed out of the courtroom, she exploded with rage, shouting, I'm innocent. I was raped. I hope you get raped, scumbags of America. Her outburst, her outburst was still fresh in the minds of the jurors as the penalty phase of her trial began the next day. Oh, my God. It's like, I hope you all, you motherfuckers all get I raped. I hope you get Bye. raped, motherfucker. And then the next day is like, um, we have to decide on how to do this. <laughs> What's the punishment? What should we Slap do? Slap on the wrist? Uh, expert witnesses for the defense testified that Warnos was mentally ill and that she suffered from borderline personality disorder yes. and that her tumultuous upbringing had stunted and ruined her. Jenkins referred to her client as a damaged primitive child. She begged the jury to spare Warnos's life. But the jurors neither forgot nor forgave what the woman they came to know during the trial. With a unanimous verdict, they recommended that Judge Blount sentence her to the electric chair, and he did on January 31st. The electric chair in 1992? Yep. Wow. I didn't know the electric chair was alive that long. I think it was alive for longer because people had brought up the case that they That's don't know how people feel. Or they thought it was better than doing uh, injections, injections. Oh. Because they don't know how people feel because they can't tell them once it's done. Yeah. I don't know. Um, well, lethal, lethal, lethal injections. Anyways, lethal injection. You get like morphine first, and then like a nerve yes. deadener, and then they kill you. But supposedly, they there has been brought up multiple times on being cruel and unusual punishment because there uh, have been several botched cases of this. Uh, of people not dying from what it was or not having enough morphine or not having enough like pain number to then still they end up in pain when the the Stuff. big drug happens yeah, so what they put it, i don't think anyone knows it's a it's supposed cocktail. to be a secret i think yeah it's supposed to be a cocktail of of things to make sure they die so that that, that has been brought up multiple times and so that's why i don't know i've also heard like electrocution does not hurt until you are removed from electrocution, and so if you're electrocuted until you're dead, you don't ever actually feel that electrocuted. you're electrocuted. Yeah, exactly. Well, and but I'm sure I don't people know. have been. Well, many people have been electrocuted by the earth. Yeah, like so lightning. <laughs> they can tell you what it feels like. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So <laughs> she never stood trial again. Mm -hmm. March 31st, she pleaded no contest to the murder of Dick Humphreys, Troy Burress, David Spears saying that she wanted to get right with God. In a rambling statement to court, she said, I wanted to confess to you that Richard Mallory did violently rape me, as I've told you, uh, but these others did not. They only began to start raping me. Uh, she, They were about to rape her. And then she was like, I'm going to kill you. She was like, uh-uh, motherfucker. 
I'm gonna get you. Um, so she... That was not good. Why? Because I... We're making fun of that. It's Southern. It's Florida. Yeah. We, we made fun of... We made fun of Alabama and other things. Ice cream and incest. It's a call back to the first episode. So we can shoot pew pew. <laughs> pew pew sounds better. Okay. Pew pew. A little bit of pew pew. Uh, so she ends her monologue by turning to the assistant state attorney, Rick Ridgway, hissing, I hope your wife and children get raped in the ass. Wow. <laughs> May 15th, Judge Thomas Sawaya handed her three more death sentences. She flipped him off and muttered, motherfucker. Wait, so she's got six life sentences against her. No, three. So far, she has four. <laughs> and then she has now four death sentences against her. Yes. Oh, wow. June, she pleads guilty to the murder of Charles Karskadden. Um, and in November, she receives a fifth death sentence. Holy shit. She has to die five times? Mm-hmm. In February of 1993, she was sentenced to die after pleading guilty to the murder of Walter Gino Antonio. God. No, murders, no charges were brought for the murder of Peter Seams, as the body was never found. Associated Press reported that serial killer Eileen Warnos was executed by lethal injection at 9.47 a.m. Wednesday, October 9th, 2002, more than a decade after she murdered six men along the... Shut up. It's a decade. (laughs) Along the Central Florida highways while working as a prostitute. The execution took place at Florida State Prison near Stark, Florida. Her last statement... I just like to say that I'm sailing with the rock and I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus. June 6th, like the movie, big mothership and all. I'll be back. The Independence Day is July 4th, honey. <laughs> the movie. The movie was July 4th. Independence Day is called Independence Day because it happened on July 4th. Maybe it came out on June 6th? I don't know. Okay, I'm not going to fault her for that. She said some crazy shit. That was crazy. <laughs> yeah, we know. Independence Day happened on July 4th. That's the point of the movie. I'll play it for you. The it's, movie? No. No. Oh. <laughs> her talking. Oh, I was like, why are we fucking watching Independence Day? No, I'm not going to watch that fucking movie. <laughs> it's lit, though. Wow, what wow. a spoopy podcast. That was that was a good spoopy podcast. How do you like Eileen Warnos? Uh she's terrifying. She is very interesting. Yeah. There's multiple documentaries on her, but there's one by this English guy where he actually gets to talk to her in person. Uh-huh. Um and she says a bunch of stuff. Well, she's fucking crazy. Yeah. She's got like uh, okay, so I have to tell you there is this uh uh homeless person that lives off of like the intersection of 288 and where I live. Uh, and she will stand on the side of the road and literally just like scream loudly. I think I've told you this before. She screams loudly at cars. She terrifies me because this week I had an, a run in with her because <laughs> there was a intense amount of traffic for some reason. And she was sitting there yelling at the traffic and like, not just yelling, but like violent, like 
yelling and flicking off traffic. Like we're all just stopped in front of this road, and she, like like it's her home that we're driving on top of. And she just like Get I could I house. should have rolled down my window so I could hear what she said, but I was afraid that she was going to think that I was giving her money because that was not going to happen. I was not going to bring her up to my car. Uh, but she was screaming so much, like I could hear like what like, but like I couldn't hear what she was saying. And oh my god, it was terrifying so that's what i honestly this entire time you were talking about eileen warnos and i was like i'm imagining her <laughs> eileen warnos is more terrifying yeah eileen warnos is more like this lady downtown who just cries at cars yeah makes sense and then she's like i'm gonna murder you <laughs> open your door motherfucker uh come come hire me for a sex job and i will uh kill you <laughs> and seal all of your belongings goodbye Excuse me. Excuse me. LOL. Well, what another great episode of our podcast. Yeah, this we... is a lot shorter than I was expecting it to be. Oh, really? Well, how much will we end up at? Hour 35. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. Look at us. Last week we had a lot. Because was... I literally just had two written pieces of paper and you had, what, five pages? Six pages? Something like that. And we ended up at two I hours and 15 pages, minutes. Yeah. Oh, my God. I need to figure this out. That's fine. Whatever. Um,. Okay, well, that was good. Uh, shout out to our sister podcast again. <laughs> Let's, Let's talk about gay stuff. Uh, they talk about gay history and stuff like that, so that's pretty cool. Remember to uh, comment, like, and subscribe. Always. Where, shout out. Where, where can they comment at, Spencer? That's OurSpoopyPodcast.com, uh-huh. Instagram.com slash OurSpoopyPodcast, uh-huh. Twitter.com slash OurSpoopy, uh-huh. and Facebook.com slash OurSpoopy. Yes, absolutely. We love all of our comments and all of those. Uh, make sure you subscribe on all the places where you can listen to our podcast. Podcast. Um, and make sure you uh, uh, review us too. Apparently, we got a review on a- Apple Podcasts or whatever they call it nowadays. Uh, so if you listen to us on our Apple pa- pla- pa- platform, <laughs> our Apple platform, uh, you should uh, get, leave us a review so that we can make more listeners happen. Um, also, shout out to all of the people that are encouraging other people to listen to us because uh, we, we love that. that we love it a lot um and also give a listen to our more recent segment our, our ruby podcast, podcast. starring uh, uh a local drag queen mm-hmm. rudolph yeah so that'll be out uh on before this episode on the thursday before this yeah. uh and uh yeah we talk about all things drag uh dragula we'll talk about uh drag race uk we'll talk about rupaul's drag race whenever it comes out rupaul's drag race all stars we'll have plenty of ideas we for have you. lots of topics yeah we got lots to talk about uh and honestly listening to our podcast apparently takes longer than watching the episode so <laughs> no no this week we did too yes an hour and ten minutes but it's three opinions that's yeah, a lot of time that, that is listen. a lot of time you're right uh, but we love our opinions on things, and you should love our opinions on things, too. So yeah. give that a listen. So we should tell them to uh, get, get spoopy, spoopy with it. it.